Hey, I'm Elizabeth Brim. I'm an artist blacksmith. I work in my studio in downtown Penland, North Carolina. Welcome to Cut the Craft. <laughs> yeah, but I've thought about I've thought about that a lot, you know, because I I admire my friends too. A lot of my friends, I admire mm -hmm. Courtney Martin a lot because she accomplishes totally. things. You know, mm -hmm. she gets it done. She yeah. does. She's got gardens and kids oh my and gosh. pottery and <laughs> dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Also, is uh, is someone making tea or something? Oh like that? no, I was I was bouncing my chapstick off of this wooden cup. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh man, that's um, like that's like me, Elizabeth. I have this little um, screw and a nut. And I, uh -huh. I play with that like the whole time during interviews because I have to be doing something all the time. Oh, well, that's <laughs> interesting because it doesn't make any noise. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You had to get yeah. sneaky. Yeah. Like I, uh, I switched my knitting needles from the aluminum needles to the bamboo uh -huh. needles. Uh -huh. And I'm cu currently furiously knitting right now. Well, good um, for you. <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> you know, I have these crystals that I think are cool. Um, oh. I took them with me. I, well, I took two of them with me to Colombia. One is a citrine, and the other one is a black tourmaline in schist. Ooh. And Ooh. boy, that black one is so beautiful, y'all. And the yeah. the citrine is too. But um, yeah. So I, I love should, tourmaline. I should have those sitting here next to me, but I took them with me, and they're. they're packed up in all my stuff i don't know exactly <laughs> <laughs> well welcome to cut the craft everybody i'm brian and i'm amy and we are here with artist blacksmith elizabeth brim working out of penland north carolina elizabeth thank you so so much for joining us today thank you yeah oh wonderful we're so happy to have you on thank mm -hmm. you yeah so for someone unfamiliar with what you make can you describe what it is that you make and then also how you fit within your own field for those um who might be listening who are already in uh blacksmithing or metalsmithing well usually when people when i talk about the things that i make i i say well i make kind of silly things because <laughs> i do feel like they're kind of silly but they're fun silly mm -hmm. um and i make um i make a lot of pillows out of steel and the reason i made a pillow in the first place is because i had made a tiara out of steel and i wanted the pillow <laughs> to sit the tiara on and um, of course yeah <laughs> of course <laughs> and um and and i make um I make a lot of flowers out of steel, and I make um, articles of clothing, feminine articles of clothing. The first article of clothing that I made was an apron, um, oh, and cool. uh, I've made bunches of aprons. In fact, the um, North Carolina Museum of Art has one of my aprons. That's awesome. And I make... Um, 
I make um, high heel shoes. I made a lot of high heel shoes. <laughs> and um, a funny thing, I the closest thing I've made to underwear and corsets is um, like a camisole. But my camisoles are more like a disco outfit or something. The first Ooh, yeah. one that I made had fringe across the top of it. And huh. um, and I recently made one with lace. And, uh, and they're all made out of steel. Um, so that's why I say they're silly things. Are they machine washable? <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine one time and she said, what, she said, what size is that? Um, It was a tutu. And I said, well, it's about a, I said, it's life size. It's about a size six. And she said, a size six is not life size. (laughs) 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 Would you say though, that when you're, when you're making these, you're, essentially making these super like whimsical kind of or fun subject matters uh, using like traditional blacksmithing techniques. So like hammer and anvil, you know, heating up in the coal forge, that kind of stuff. Um, Well, the, the body of the clothing things Mm -hmm. are not traditional blacksmithing. Um, They are just, I just, uh, kind of beat the hell out of it till it looks like I wanted to look. And That's awesome. Mostly, mostly it's done cold too, but oh, I okay. will anneal the metal with a torch. And what? Oh. so what that is, I get it like dull red with a torch and then let it cool down because mm-hmm. I really have to get physical with these things to, mm-hmm. to make them look all wrinkly and fabric-y like I want them to do. And um, the pillows I inflate with air, and y'all may have seen a video of me doing that. There's a I've seen so many of them. Yeah, there's a (laughs) bunch of them. (laughs) And uh, so that is really not a traditional blacksmithing technique, but (laughs) a lot of the it's a lot of combinations of things. Like I'll use traditional blacksmithing techniques to maybe make a ruffle that'll go onto the pillow. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a combination of traditional blacksmithing techniques and innovative um, techniques. Um, cool. So. Wow. Because so you, you invented that pillow technique, didn't you? Well, or at least it was part of like a class or something like that? <laughs> well, I get a lot of credit for having invented that pillow inflating technique <laughs> but um is this that, where beer becomes a character again? yes yes it is how'd you guess <laughs> so um i was taking a class at the penland school and um it was after classes were over and we were sitting around talking and having a beer and um somebody asked me what did I want to make in the class? And I said, well, I've just finished making this tiara and I want to make a pillow for the tiara to sit on. And so we started talking about the different ways you could make a pillow. And then we just thought, well, what if we welded two pieces together flat and heated it up in the gas forge 
because a gas forge is um, it's like a big um, glass blowers um, glory hole thing. Like it'll get everything the same heat at the same time. Okay. What if we um, put two pieces together flat, put it in the gas forge and let it get hot and then push compressed air into it. And it worked so perfectly. So it was just instantaneous instead of, (laughs) instead of hammering and hammering and hammering and trying to fit two pieces together, you know, and the first piece that we tried was, um, uh, it was a rectangle and it turns out that a rectangle is the, does work really, really well because it can pull itself in from the sides as well as stretch the, um, as well as stretching the metal out, puffing it mm-hmm. up. Right, right. And so um, then it wasn't too long after that experiment that I was invited to do a demonstration for the Artist Blacksmiths Association of North America at their biannual. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's um, international, really. Um, at their conference. And so they asked me to do a, a, a demonstration at their conference. And I thought, what in the world do they want to watch me do? I thought, <laughs> you know, I, I don't do, I don't really use any techniques other than the same techniques everybody else uses and the same <laughs> things that people have been doing for thousands of years. And, um, and then I thought, I thought about the inflating, but I thought um, if people people want to see me work, the they don't really want to see me work. They're they're just interested because of the kinds of things that I make. Because um, at that time, nobody was making things like high heel shoes and aprons and stuff out of, out of steel, and. Um, so, uh, and then I thought, well, I will do an inflating demo because that will be fun and it's different. And so that's what I did. And I'm telling you, I got all kinds of attention for that. And, <laughs> and that is why I've gotten the credit for inventing it um, mm. because I have used it a lot. And I, and I always say, I popularized that, um, <laughs> nice. that that technique because I after that after that conference at for the Abana conference, um, I got invited all over the place to do that. Oh, wow. So it was great. <laughs> That's awesome. But, but it's a lot of work to get ready for for that because it takes a long time to get the to get the pillows welded together flat. Mm. And then it only takes seconds for it to inflate, you know, oh. so I have to have a ton of those things and oh um, and ship them across the country. And <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and that's why um, I asked a friend of mine to video a, a demonstration that I did up in the Penland studio one time. Mm-hmm. I said, so then if people want to see me do that, I can just tell them to go watch the video. And 
and then cut you a check. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I was kind of shooting myself in the foot, but I was tired of it. I was tired of making a bunch of things, going and doing a demonstration and ending up with a bunch of scrap metal, you know? Right, sure. um, So I I asked him to do that, and then he was taking a video class and he got everybody in his class to video my demonstration and they edited it and then put it on YouTube. So that's one of the ones that you can watch on YouTube. It's a really good one. And that just ended up great because um, two of my friends happened to be at Penland at the same time who had helped me do inflating stuff before. And so they were both there and they knew what was going on and they, you know, were able to assist me and we just had a blast. That's the best. (laughs) And then after that, people would say, they'd come to Penland and say, oh, hey, are you going to do an inflating demo this session? And I'd say, (laughs) no, but, you know, you can watch it. There's a video. You can watch it. And they say, oh, I've seen the video. I want to see you do it in person. (laughs) 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 So it didn't really solve my problem. <laughs> oh, that's and I recently did a video for um that we have this festival in Spruce Pine, which is close the closest town to where I live. And um and this year I w- well last year I was supposed to be the master blacksmith, but then the pandemic happened and they canceled it. And um so I was gonna be the master blacksmith this year, but it was virtual which was great for me because mm. I got to do the demos in, um, in my studio and also in the pit, in the big um, Penland teaching facility for, and um, both places that I'm really, really familiar with, you know, and I'm familiar mm-hmm. with the tools and the equipment and everything. Mm-hmm. And so that was just like a gift from the pandemic to me. <laughs> that, that I didn't have to do those demos downtown in front of a whole bunch of people with unfamiliar totally. equipment, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. Wow. Penland School of Craft is an educational center dedicated to the creative life. Located in North Carolina's Blue Ridge Mountains, Penland offers one, two, six, and eight week workshops in a wide range of media. Penland also offers artist residencies and a beautiful gallery. Now taking registration for fall workshops and applications for the core fellowship and the 2022 winter residency. Also coming up is the Penland online benefit auction, August 21st through 28th. For more information, go to penland.org. So Elizabeth, how did you get started in blacksmithing? When I was growing up and going to college and everything, um, I always thought that the best thing in the world was to be was, would be to teach art in a college, and mm. I thought that would just be the best thing for me to do. And mm-hmm. um, so, I I um, I majored in art, of course, and then um, I went to the University of Georgia. And I got a master's degree in printmaking. And so an MFA is a terminal degree. And um, you usually have to have that to be qualified to teach in a college. So um, 
then after I got that degree, the guy who um, was the head of the art department in Columbus, Georgia, where where I lived, um, his name is Jamie Howard. And he told me when I finished my degree, well, they had they had a show for me at the school at Columbus College um, when I finished my degree. And that was really nice. And he told me, he said, look, why don't you go to the Penland School of Crafts and um, learn how to do ceramics? Because the guy who's teaching ceramics here is going to leave and you can you can teach ceramics here. And I thought, well, that's great. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I started um, at the little community center there in Columbus. I started messing around with clay and, um, and I enrolled myself for the spring concentration in ceramics at Penland. I know a lot of our listeners probably are familiar with Penland, but mm-hmm. would you give just like a brief, like one minute little summary of what Penland is? Well, um, Penland is a, a school for craft and it is in the mountains of North Carolina and it was started in 1929 or it was incorporated as a school in 1929. And, um, there's a book about it called gift from the Hills that the founder Lucy Morgan wrote about the starting of the school. It's really great book. Um, but she um, wanted to, Miss Lucy is what we all call her, wanted to teach the mountain people here how to weave because it's a very poverty-stricken place. And she thought the mountain ladies could supplement their incomes by weaving and and she would sell their work for them. So mm-hmm. that's how it got started. And then people started wanting to come here and take classes in weaving. And so um, they built a building to house these people coming from the outside. And after that, they started teaching some pottery and some uh, um, <clears throat> pottery and metalworking. And then um, gradually it's just turned into a big internationally known uh, school for craft. And uh, Bill Brown was the second director of the Penland School. And Bill Brown had been, um, Bill Brown had an MFA in sculpture from Cranbrook. So I credit him with making Penland School a place to study fine craft. And mm. um, he, he started the glass blowing program. And then his son is the one who, um, said he wanted to start a blacksmithing program at Penland School and um, convinced his father that it would be a, th- a good thing to have. <laughs> and that's a whole <laughs> long story. We could do a whole, a whole long interview <laughs> about the history of the Penland Iron Studio. I, I like think that. it's fascinating. <laughs> but anyway, so the Penland School, and it's a place where um, there'll be – around 200 people studying uh, ceramics and photography and printmaking and blacksmithing. and um, It's pure magic. It is pure magic. <laughs> <laughs> so after I came to the Penland School for the first time and learned how to um, 
work with Clay, I got that job. Nice. (laughs) It was a part-time job, but it was a job teaching in a college and Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. And, um, but I kept coming back to Penland too. And, um, so it, it worked out pretty great because I taught in the fall and the winter mm-hmm. and then in the spring and the summer, I spent as much time at Penland as I could. And oh. so, um, I kept coming back to Penland and, and I was teaching ceramics, but at one point I thought, you know what, I have always loved jewelry and I want to, I want to make some jewelry. So I signed up for a two-week class in jewelry making, and so I learned how to work with jewelry a little bit, and I was, I was, oh, I was so excited about that. I would run down to the dining hall and make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and run back to the studio and work <laughs> in the jewelry making studio, just having a blast and learning stuff, and then, um, so when I finished that and I went back to Columbus, and teaching, and um, I wanted to make jewelry, so, and I didn't have the equipment, so I made jewels out of clay, and um, (laughs) I I was making goblets, um, porcelain goblets, and Mm -hmm. I put the jewels on these goblets, and and they were beautiful. (laughs) 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 I always, I never did like... um, clay goblets because you know the whole point of a goblet is so you can see the stuff you're drinking in there and (laughs) but (laughs) but I made them and I put jewels on these goblets and um I'm still really proud of them they mostly got away from me I've gave one to my I gave one to Marianne Cher who was my first uh jewelry making teacher oh cool Marianne lived to be in her 90s Um, and was just glamorous till the end, even in a wheelchair with oxygen. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so then I, um, so I made jeweled goblets and then, um, I came back to Penland and I took an eight week long concentration with Marvin Jensen and, um, Marvin has been kind of my metal mentor. And um, and he lives at Penland too, so I get to see him every once in a while. That's awesome. So anyway, um, I took an eight week class with Marvin, and then um, I came back and took another eight week class with Marvin. And then um, while I was taking that class, there's a program at Penland. Uh, well, there are two programs at Penland that Bill Brown started both of these. One of them is the resident artists in residence program where people are selected and they come for three years and um, their job is to work in their studio and, and get their career going. And um, then there's another program that's called um, the core program. And um, Courtney Dodd manages that program now. And so what the core program is, they are students in classes, but they live at the school usually for two years. And um, they take classes and they have jobs at the school too, like um, 
Some of them cook on the weekends in the kitchen and make food for all the students. And mm-hmm. and then there's a, a one who works in the gardens at Penland. So, but it's a very, very, very competitive um, program to get into. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at the time I'm talking about, which was the mid eighties, um, it was not as competitive. And so I was there taking the spring concentration, which is what they call the eight week classes. So I was there for the spring concentration and, um, one of the core students got an opportunity to go to New York and work for um, a jeweler that he admired very much. And so he said he was going to leave early. So they asked me if I could be a core student. <laughs> it was awesome. just dropped out of the air on me, you know? And so I said, well, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> but um, I believe the reason that they asked me to do it is because I um, was strong enough to pick up those big old heavy pots. They have to cook uh, food for all those hundreds of people. And um, so at the time when they asked me if I could be a course student, I had had just one experience in the blacksmith shop. And that happened when um, I was taking a metalworking class with Gary Nofke. And Gary Nofke is a very well-known metalsmith. He um, taught for decades again at the University of Georgia, where I went to school. So I kind of knew him, but um, but I really admired him, and I I admired his um, his attitude about metal. It Mm -hmm. was just you know nothing is wrong. if you make a mistake, just take it and make the best of it. Um, I love that. And uh, so I really admired his attitude. And I was taking a class with him, mm-hmm. and um, it was making um, vessels. And um, so we went down to the railroad track, which is where I live now, down here in downtown Penland, close to the railroad track. We went to the railroad track, and we picked up these bolts that um, – there's usually laying around because they replace them and then they just throw them on the side, you know? Mm. So what it is, it's like a half of a sphere and it has a long uh, thread coming down from that half a sphere and it's threaded on the bottom. And so um, we picked those up and we took them back up to the studios at Penland and we took those bolts into the blacksmith shop and um, we heated them up, heated that threaded end up, and hammered them on this great big anvil that we still have in that studio. Um, and there's a, there's a story about that anvil I could go on for half that <laughs> too. But um, anyway, so we picked up those bolts, and we took them back up there, and we heated them up in the coal forge and hammered those round threaded pieces down so that it would be wedge shaped and would fit in a stake holder, which is something where you put a wedge shaped thing. So it holds it steady. Mm -hmm. And um, so we did that. And then we ground the top of the bolts to different shapes. 
one of them was flat. One of them was like a spoon shape. And then the other one was, is just like the half a sphere. Um, mm-hmm. that's, it, so it's like what people call a mushroom steak. Mm-hmm. And so we made those things. And I thought, now this blacksmithing, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I went back up there and asked the guy who was teaching at the time, I said, can I make a hammer? Because I thought if I could make a hammer and I could hammer on my, my metal, on my stakes that I could that I had made, that would be the coolest ever. So they <laughs> handed me a chunk of um, steel, and it was W1 steel, which is harder than the steel that, that I use to make my sculptures. Um, it mm. has things added to it to make it hard. So, um, so then I went over there and I started hammering, trying to make a hammer. And, um, so then, um, about 1030 at night came and I was the last one there hammering away and nothing was happening. And, um, everybody else had left. And so, um, I got discouraged and I said to myself, I thought, well, you better just go on back to something you're capable of, like jewelry making or ceramics, mm. because you are a female and you are not capable of this. Because <laughs> no. all the people in that class were guys, you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, I went back to my do- to I went back to my room at the dorm. I was staying above the dining hall with a line of beds in a big old room <laughs> and I went back up there and I took some aspirin because I had a headache and uh I thought to myself um well I, at least I can get clean so I got in the shower you know and because I was dirty I've been working up there in that cold forge all day long mm-hmm. and I started I so um I got in the shower and I was getting clean and I kept thinking about things I could make out of steel and so the next day I went back up there and when I did, they had pulled this clinker out of my fire pot and a clinker is something that a clinker is residue that happens. It comes out of the coal and it comes off of the metal and what it does, it um, takes up room in your fire pot. Mm. So it can't get hot because there's no coal in there burning. And, um, Oh, so it just wasn't getting hot enough at all. It wasn't getting hot enough. And (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing anyway. But when I came back the next day, they, um, decided they would help me. (laughs) And so, um, they helped me and told me what I was doing wrong. And, I made my hammer and I still have it. And oh, um, it's oh. a silversmithing hammer though, because oh. I didn't think I was going to be a blacksmith, you know? So, but I still <laughs> right. have it and I, I pick it up and use it every once in a while, just so I can say that I still have it and I still use it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it took me a week. And so it took me a week and I got that hammer finished And then, uh, after I finished that first one, I thought, well, I'm going to make a couple of more hammers. And (laughs) I made two hammers in one day after making, after spending a week making the first one, you know, 
Um, wow. Not not all together. I didn't have the handle on it and all that stuff. But you know, that's just yeah. That's just I had to learn. Wow. <laughs> and so then, this is this is just this is just the universe putting everything I, that I needed in my path. So that was in the summertime. And then in the springtime, they asked me, could I stay and work and be a core student and uh, work in the kitchen? And so I said that I could. And then they said, okay, well, what kind of classes do you want to take while you're working in the kitchen? And I thought, I'll take blacksmithing. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, so at that time in the, the, history of the school there were only two classes in blacksmithing in the whole year mm-hmm. and um and that's another story too about the history of the <laughs> Penland Iron Studio <laughs> because now the now blacksmithing is one of the biggest programs at Penland and mm-hmm. it goes um the studio is running all the time so but so because I was now a core student, I got to take free classes. And um, so I took blacksmithing and um, I really, really liked it. And, <laughs> and then um, the rest of the summer, there were no classes in that studio. So I got to use it all by myself. And I didn't know much, you know, but... It was that summer that I made my first pair of high heel shoes, and um, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was trying real hard, and then Marvin was around, so I could ask him, hey, you know, how do I do this? And he he came up there, and he told me how to uh, weld with the oxyacetylene torch. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. something that I still really depend on for my work mm-hmm. a lot. And um, so it was that summer I took my first blacksmithing class. I made my first pair of um, high heel shoes, which I then kind of became known for, you know. And <laughs> yeah. um, I took those things to my very first um, uh, blacksmithing conference, which was in Birmingham, Alabama. And um um, I went there to Birmingham as a ambassador from the Penland School because it just happened that after, um, so that was in 1985 that I took my first blacksmithing class. Mm. And then, um, of course, when the studio was empty and I was around, I was in there messing around and making stuff and having fun. And sometimes there'd be another couple of people in there, you know, just, just having fun, but then no classes going on there. And then, um, and sometimes the classes that were scheduled didn't, um, didn't have any students in it. And um, then um, they got canceled. So, Mm -hmm. Um, so that was that was bad. And in 1987, the guy who was the director of Pen- at Penland at the time, he told me, he said, if enrollment doesn't pick up in that um, blacksmithing program, I'm going to close the program and we're going to use that space for something else. 
because no. it was right in the middle of um, the right in the middle of the of the school, and um, so anyway, a um, bunch of us started talking about it, and Hunter Carrier, who was the assistant director at the time, and he really liked the blacksmith shop, and um, he he said. I know what, we'll have a blacksmithing symposium here at Penland and we'll get people to come here and see how cool it is and maybe that'll save the program. And huh. so cool. um, then they told me that um, I could coordinate this symposium. And so I was hired to do that. And they um, they first sent me to this blacksmithing uh this blacksmithing conference in Birmingham, Alabama to promote the symposium. Well, I had already picked the people that I wanted to be the panel members and everything. I'd studied, I'd studied up on this hard (laughs) (laughs) and I got, I got really great people to be um, on the panel. One of them was Brent Kington, who was the, head of the metal department at Southern Illinois University. And he was, um, he started the first master's program where you could go and take blacksmithing and get your master's degree in blacksmithing as an Mm -hmm. artistic um, endeavor. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so he was on the panel and um, uh, anyway, there was great people on the panel. (laughs) 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 and um and so um we had that symposium and it was the first time in the history of blacksmithing in the united states that artist blacksmiths had gotten together to talk about their ideas and ironwork there had been a lot of opportunities for people to go and see other people do um demonstrations and learn techniques and learn how to do things. But this Mm -hmm. was an opportunity to talk about why and how to Mm -hmm. express your ideas through Mm -hmm. these blacksmithing techniques. And it was called, um, it was called expressive design and iron. And, um, and I am really, really proud to have been so involved in that. And, um, and it really did kind of save the Penland Iron Program. Force generates heat. Heat brings things closer. DNA strands are bonded. Identities are forged. Everyone has to hammer away at their work. And everyone, at least I hope, hopes to leave a positive imprint. For their ability to take on imprints so gracefully, I love soft metals. I also love the notion of soft metals. I love that real soft metals exist like pewter and that I can think of someone carefully plucking a flower for a bouquet while listening to ACDC. Over time a florist can get work hardened with their careful caring techniques and the work's principles can move into their emotional world, making them as careful with people as they would be with an orchid. That's someone being soft metal. And there's a bodily learning there that can't really be put into language, at least if you ask me. But when you listen to this episode, listen for the word learning as an indicator of chasing that ineffable trail. 
Just don't make it a drinking game, because you won't learn anything that way. Our next guest is a metalsmith and artist who taps the nerve between economic stability and creative expression, bringing his own soft metal touch to all types of metals and objects. His name is David Clemens, and he makes his metal shine with empathy not only for the sake of the objects, but for the hands and hard work of others the objects are indicative of. Which is to say, his work shows connections to the work of others. And you can hear those connections in this conversation, too. The ways in which he speaks about the material world brings to mind others we've had on, like Elizabeth Brim and Corey Alston, just to name a recent few. There's a lot of process progressing in this one, which lends itself to poetry which generally speaking is an art form not restricted to words, but one centered around creative processes progressing. But my language shows my bias. So in a neutral tone, I just say, don't overlook this one. What was your motivation behind making those delicate, like, forms? Like, um, if you were making, like, jewelry and, or clay mugs and things like that. Like why, why did you decide to use blacksmithing to make dancing shoes? And uh, you know, it's not like you could put the shoes on. What, what, what were you thinking about uh, when you made that? Um, Well, when I made the shoes and they were the, well, so I was making things like shovels and hammers Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, tools and things like that. And then there was there was a transition piece that I made, and it was a peacock feather with a spoon on the end of it. So <laughs> cool! <laughs> it was a big spoon that had a peacock feather on the end of it. So I made that spoon, and then the next thing I made was um, the high heel shoes. My first high heel shoes. There was a woman teaching in the metal studio not the blacksmithing studio, but metal studio. And she was given assignments like um, make something that would, that is inspired from um, your favorite fairy tale. Mm. And so the, the shoes, the first shoes I made were inspired by that fairy tale, the 12 dancing princesses. Oh, and cool. Most people are familiar with that, but I'll just give you a recap. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there were 12 princesses. This king had 12 daughters, and they all lived in the same, uh, they lived in this part of the castle. And every night his daughters would, would dance their shoes into tatters. They had these, you know, beautiful little silk dancing shoes. Mm -hmm. And every morning their shoes would be in tatters and they would get new ones. And so um, the king didn't know what was going on, but what what they were doing was they were escaping and they were going down this beautiful river where the trees were made out of silver and gold and they would go and they would meet up with these handsome princes and dance all night long (laughs) and then come back to the castle. And so the king asked for somebody to come and find out what his daughters were doing. And so this guy met some witch on the way there and she gave him a cloak to make himself invisible. And so he did, and he made himself invisible and he followed the princesses and found out what they were doing and turned them in to the king. What a turd. (laughs) 
know. He he ratted them out. And then the king gave him and uh gave him the permission to marry whichever one of his daughters he wanted to marry. Oh, that's so much salt on the wound. (laughs) And I can't remember which one he selected. But the, <laughs> the youngest daughter was kind of prominent in the story, in my recollection. But so, so he chose one of those 12 princesses to get married to and put an end to their fun. And <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, well, if I made indestructible shoes for these princesses, that they could party forever. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So that was the idea. <laughs> and they could also kick that guy in the shin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Brian. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Although I'd probably add a couple extra spikes on the front. <laughs> <laughs> well, an interesting thing about those shoes is that, um, so that was, I made those shoes and probably... Like 90, well, I started them in 85. I know that. But I didn't finish them till later because I didn't have anywhere to do any blacksmithing except for when I was at Penland. And I was mm-hmm. going back and teaching, you know. And um, so I finished those shoes. And then when um, Penland sent me to my first um, blacksmithing conference in Birmingham in 1988, I had finished them and I took those because at at that time, everybody who would come to those conferences would bring something that they had made and they would put up like a temporary exhibit. Mm-hmm. And then at one point during the conference, everybody would go and they would see all the things in the exhibit. Mm-hmm. Well, my shoes got a lot of attention because, <laughs> because they were different yeah. and mm-hmm. I was different. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, that those conferences were international, yeah. and um, so and I got a lot of attention because I was a female, mm-hmm. and um, and I have a southern accent, and <laughs> and um, also I had taken to wearing pearls as my kind of signature, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that um, that goes back to my first blacksmithing class too because um when when I when I got selected to be a course student or <laughs> when I was asked to be a course student and um I was going to take blacksmithing for my for my class and I told my mother on the phone that I was signed up to take blacksmithing and she got really quiet for a minute and then she said Elizabeth I do not approve of that. Blacksmithing is not a ladylike thing to do. Oh, no. And she didn't want me to do it. Yeah. And and, uh, Mary Ann Scher, who was my first jewelry making teacher, kind of discouraged me too. She said, what is that going to do to your body? You know, what is that going to do to your hands? So, so, uh, like, what, what has blacksmithing taught you about taking risks, you know? Well, I guess I took one when I started that blacksmithing, <laughs> but I didn't, 
<laughs> I didn't. I didn't ever think I would be a professional blacksmith. Yeah. I thought that I was going to be a lady of leisure because <laughs> I had, <laughs> I had been brought up to think that I was not going to ever have to make any money. Mm-hmm. That I would have a man mm-hmm. who would make money and take care of me and make sure I had oil in my car and everything was taken care of. And all I had to do was be cute and act stupid so he could feel superior and and I would be taken care of. And um, that I tried that, but (laughs) that was probably the riskiest thing I ever did. (laughs) You're just like, you're like, you're like, damn it. I can't fake it anymore. I'm smart. (laughs) Well, thank God. I, wormed out of that situation you know yeah totally because um it was it was not good Mm. and at the time when I acquired this house here that I'm sitting in right now um when I when I got the house I thought that there would be enough money for me to have this house and the house that I lived in in Columbus Georgia with my ex-husband and um so I got this house up here and it was very inexpensive. I paid thirty four thousand oh, dollars wow. for this house and property. Wow. And um Jeez. and another thing about it is that it had termites in it. So Ooh. I didn't have a mortgage to buy it. It was owner financing. Oh wow. And my house mm. payments were $277 and 14 cents a month. Wow. What? And, um, yeah. And <laughs> I'm just like trying to think of all the things I've spent $200 on. <laughs> I know. I spent $50 at the grocery store yesterday. And you, right, you bought yeah. coffee and that was all. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so that was, um, that was, I thought, manageable, you know. And the very first pillow that I ever made, I sold that pillow for $400. And I thought, wow, mm. this is my first house payment. Yeah, But really. that, that money got away from me before I could even spend it on my house payment. Because cause there was, it was just such a bad situation. Mm. But, oh, mm. But anyway, um, I finally did worm out of that, and that was a, that was a big risk too. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I, when I worked at the Penland School, when I was the coordinator of the Penland Iron Studio, which I did for six years, and at the time that was a long time for somebody to be a coordinator at the Penland School of a studio, but. I had a goal, and that goal was to get that get that um, program healthy, and then get that new studio built and see that it was going to thrive. Mm. And um, then I thought, well, then it's time for me to go on my own and and be a be a artist blacksmith because that's what I wanted to do. But I had spent a lot of my time and energy on the Penland Iron Studio. And I thought, now it's time for me to work on my own self and my own studio. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when the during the time when we were building the Big Iron Studio, I was building my little studio here 
for myself. Hmm. And it's not really that little. It's um, 800 square feet. Um, wow. And, and, and it was built specifically for me to make ironwork in. I find it so inspiring that you were, I just your ability to listen to and respect that like inner voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to me, some of my favorite conversations that we've had on the show are with people who were willing to make big changes regardless of what was going on in their life mm-hmm. and what seemed to, because I think a lot of people kind of get locked in, um, whether just because of their own like identity um, as like a certain job or career or something like that. But your ability to just think like, oh, well, I just really want to teach art in college. And then you did that for a little bit and you're like, well, I'll try ceramics and then I'll try this and like try that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you've just always followed that. It's kind of like, I don't know, some basset hound that's just wandering. <laughs> 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 and yeah, I just think that that's so inspiring and such an important thing to remember that it's like, you know, well, you're kind of in control of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of in control, but things have just been put in front of me like this house. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um so when I first saw this house, I was I was uh in a class up at the Penland Iron Studio and I came came down here to mail a letter at the post office and I saw the under contract I mean, I saw for sale sign on this house and it's 1.8 miles from the Penland Iron Studio. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you have that at the specific studio. (laughs) Well, so um, I went into the post office and I said, what about that little house over there? And she said, oh, honey, somebody's already got a contract on that house. And there's a woman who lives around here named True Kelly. Do y'all have y'all ever heard of her? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. She's um, True Kelly is a longtime Penland person. I think she might have been a pen, uh, artist in residence when Bill Brown was the director. And she's a photographer. She's a professional clown, and she's also a psychic. And she also owned three houses down here in this area. And Whoa. I saw her. I said, True did you buy that other little house at Penland? And she said, no. She said, are you interested in it? And I said, well, yeah, but somebody's already got a contract on it. And she said, well, you know what? I think I would like to have you around. She said, "Um, there's too many men down there. (laughs) And she said, I tell you what, I'm going to put out my vibes. And True put out her vibes. And about a week later, she came up to the iron studio to find me. And she said, well, that under contract sign has gone off of that house, so you call tomorrow morning and find out about it. Huh. And I did. I called the real estate place, and they said, yeah, well, those people found out there are termites in that house, and um, they backed out of the contract. Hmm. So I came down here with my friend um, who was teaching the class, and um, we looked at the house, and we walked in, and I said, oh, it's got glass doorknobs. <laughs> I said, oh, look at that staircase. And he said, well, maybe we better look at the foundation and the roof. <laughs> I think I, as a house buyer, would be exactly like you. <laughs> 
so he he said um Jafe Howard is his name and um he's a dear friend and he said well Elizabeth I think you ought to get it if you can Aww. <laughs> and nice. I did Aww. and um so it was as I said I paid two hundred and seventy seven dollars and fourteen cents a month for a while and then um one day um they had asked me to do welcome to penland at the orientation for one of the sessions starting mm-hmm. and it was probably first session in a summer and i i don't know what year it was that's how i should know what year it was but <laughs> okay. so that was on a sunday that i did that orientation talk and and the day before that, I had mailed the check that paid off my entire studio property, everything. Because, oh. um, you know, I I finally paid it off enough where I had money. I ha- I knew I had enough money to pay it off in one big, big chunk. So I did. And, um, and um, so I went to that orientation thing that day and I said, <clears throat> I said, well, it's a beautiful day. And it's a great day for all of you starting your starting your classes at Penland. And it's a great day for me because my peonies are blooming. And yesterday I mailed a check that paid off my entire house and property. That's <laughs> and awesome. And they just cheered and cheered. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that was great. That's and, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And um, – that was that was wonderful. Yeah, that's amazing. The John C. Campbell's Folk School's classes have now resumed. Interested in registering for a blacksmithing class? Browse their e-catalog online or request a catalog at folkschool.org. The Folk School is also hiring for a variety of positions. Check them out at folkschool.org under their Employment Opportunities tab. North House Folk School teaches traditional craft on the shores of Lake Superior. Courses for this fall and winter are now open for registration. Learn blacksmithing, everything from smelting to decorative ironwork and traditional crafts of all sorts. Visit northhouse.org for more information. So, uh, Elizabeth, uh-huh. what, what have been some of the challenges for blacksmithing for you? Well, being taken seriously for one thing, hmm. because I am kind of a caricature, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I've never met you in person, Amy, but, um, but Brian knows I always wear my hair in a French braid with mm-hmm. a big bow on the end of it, <laughs> ponytail, uh-huh. and um, I wear you know, pearls mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I have my Southern accent and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, so I get, I get a lot of attention in that kind of way, mm-hmm. but I also make these funny things, you know, the shoes, the tutus and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be taken seriously though, by by those people who 
um, know what they know what they're doing. Mm. And mm. most of them at that time were men. Mm-hmm. And but most of those men supported me mm. and were really um, took took care of me and um, treated me really sweet. Um, I do remember one time at one of the conferences, this big old man came up to me and he had a great big old hammer in his hand. And he goes, this is, this is the hammer I use, Elizabeth. What kind of hammer do you use? And I looked at him, I was, I was intimidated a little bit, but I said, um, whatever one I need. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But that's, that's all I knew to say, you know, but he was kind of trying to intimidate me Mm -hmm. about, you know, me not being a big, strong man. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So um, macho. Yeah. Yeah, I've had um, lots of opportunities. I guess one of my main goals was to change the the preconceptions that people have about blacksmithing. Mm. And there's a group, there's (laughs) there's a bunch of people, and a lot of them are my very good friends, they don't want to be called a blacksmith. And um, because, and I'll tell you this other story, when I went, you know, we had this big um, auction at Penland every year. It's a big, big deal, annual auction. They make lots and lots and lots of money. And so I had been to that auction, and um, there was a man there who had paid... 30 something thousand dollars for this uh, piece of glass huh? that looked like a big, a big, beautiful gumdrop. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so after the auction was over, I went to a party and I was at the party and this lady who knew me introduced me to that man. And um, she said, this is Elizabeth. Um, and Elizabeth is an artist and she's a blacksmith and he looked a little, uh, um, he looked, you know, confused a little bit. And then he's, and then somebody said, well, there's a lot of blacksmiths around where we live and they lived in Virginia. And he, he, he looked confused again and he goes, well, I guess there's a lot of horses around there. And I felt like he had just kicked me square uh-huh. in the stomach as hard as he could. My gosh. Right. And that is when I thought, well, I can't call myself a blacksmith anymore. Uh, so was that was that just because he was assuming that if you're a blacksmith, you're only shoeing horses? Yeah. Uh-huh. And my mother, too. My mother, um, when she lived in Georgia, she had a real close bunch of ladies who... Um, attended the same Sunday school class and they they were very social and really enjoyed each other and did stuff together and things and mama told me one day she said oh you know what Louise said to me it was so funny and I said what was that she said she asked me well Betty does your daughter do anything besides shoe horses (laughs) and and mama was she was laughing like she'd never heard that before and I was just like oh my god that's horrible (laughs) (laughs) and we in the old iron studio and in the new iron studio too hopefully in the coming months 
we have a lot of people just wander in. And um, one time, you know, people would wander in, they'd look around, and they'd think they were going to be cute, and they'd say, well, where are all the horses? <laughs> I just want to <laughs> slap them. <laughs> you slip on your metal shoes. <laughs> you just hold up a big mirror. <laughs> <laughs> There's another funny Ooh, nice story <laughs> about that. I wasn't, I wasn't there at the time, but my friend Florence was in the studio, and in the old iron studio. And this old man, he wandered in, and he goes, Hey, I'm a blacksmith, and I've ne- I've heard about this Penland Iron Studio, and I thought I should just come check it out. And he was looking around, and I had a green tutu um, hanging up in there, a real one, you oh. know, a, a ballerina tutu <laughs> hanging up in there. And um, he he said to Florence, he goes, "That's not something you usually see in a." blacksmith shop and Florence <laughs> said well you really had never have been to the Penland Iron Studio have you because <laughs> I had tutus and high heel shoes and all kind of things hanging around in there <laughs> that's great have you you seen that sort of that side of things kind of fade a little bit more as like like I mean you seem from my experience to be an extremely well-respected artist blacksmith. And I mean, you are the reason why in many ways, which I haven't talked about on this episode or the show in general, but you were like kind of why I discovered handcraft is like a possibility for uh, a job. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was when I was a freshman in college and you came and gave a guest talk at Winthrop university where I was happened to be uh-huh. for that one semester. <laughs> and, and you came in and you came and gave that lecture. And I remember seeing your high heeled shoes and, and just thinking people can do that like for a living. <laughs> and it was like, and I didn't mean it like in the ways and, Oh, that's so weird and quirky, but I was just totally amazed mm-hmm. that number one, it just, I couldn't comprehend how someone could technically accomplish something like that. And then I was blown away when you were telling me about Penland and my whole like universe was like reeling and (laughs) little eyes were rolling around in my head (laughs) and you were dressed up for Halloween. So it was just even better. (laughs) I was Captain Spaulding from the Devil's Rejects, um, Rob Zombie movie. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I hope that it's changed. I know that your work when I saw it was it just instilled me more with like a sense of awe. And that was how I first heard about Penland and your work has just, I mean, mm-hmm. really changed my life in a pretty personal way. And so I, I don't know. I hope that that's been more of your experience as time's gone on. Well, I, I hope so. Um, I think, you know, of course, Instagram and stuff like that um, has helped a lot, but I, and I think Penland School has helped a lot too. Um, mm-hmm. Educate people about um, about what what blacksmithing is, contemporary blacksmithing is. Also, another thing is um, that I'm really proud of is our little blacksmithing festival in Spruce Pine, because it's not it's not just a thing like a blacksmithing conferences where blacksmiths go to hang out with each other and see each other do stuff and learn from each other. But this is a festival and people come there to have fun and mm-hmm. kind of 
become educated at <laughs> at the same time mm-hmm. because we have demonstrations on the street we have an art show in the arts council building and we have a lot of a lot of things that people can see about blacksmithing um during the festival and there's also things for kids to do and uh stuff for other people to do just to have fun you know Mm -hmm. and also this year because we had our blacksmithing festival was virtual we're going to infiltrate the barbecue festival oh nice (laughs) (laughs) and usually we have um we have a tent where people can compete and we say like one year everybody was supposed to make a spoon one year they made a candle holder, you know, but they get the same piece of metal, the same size piece of metal, and also they have the same amount of time. And then they put them all out at the end of the day and people vote for which is the best one. <laughs> and so this year we're having a barbecue fork um, uh, competition and we're going to do that at the barbecue festival. So you know, we're getting blacksmithing in spruce pine. Yeah. <laughs> so I I hope that I have made a difference in the way that people um, perceive blacksmithing. Yeah. Because I sure have tried. <laughs> well, gosh. I mean, it sounds like it. it, it you basically transformed uh, the whole studio yeah like the whole studio at penland and then have had such an impact on so many people it sounds like people are definitely taking you seriously (laughs) yeah i mean at least half of half of the co-hosts have had their life changed just by you so (laughs) (laughs) well i did i did help promote that penland iron studio i did yeah and but I helped. There were a lot of other people who who um, who helped too. Mm-hmm. And we have um, outside the new studio, we have a gate that kind of um, makes that point. And um, we, when we designed the new iron studio, uh, we designed in a place to put scrap metal because um, blacksmiths use a lot of scrap metal mm-hmm. and. Um, and but other people don't like seeing it so much, especially the administrators. <laughs> so when we designed the studio, we designed it in with a with a gate that would go across the place where we put our where, where we store our scrap metal, and it is made out of scrap. So what happened when we were when we were knew we were going to build that building? We asked a bunch of people who had been important to the development of the program to send us a piece of scrap that we would incorporate into the gate. And um, then, so that supposedly camouflages the scrap from the public view. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also a really great way to um, honor the past and, the old studio and uh, bring the the soul of the old studio up to that new building mm-hmm. because it's a real different scene than that old iron studio. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
And um, I wanted to say that, um, you know, the um, what I like, one thing that I really like about blacksmithing and one thing that I think attracted me to it in, uh, in the first place is that you don't use expensive material to mm. um, make things out of metal. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, or I don't. Yeah. You know, you could also use bronze, but, um, or other, other materials, but I use a lot of scrap metal mm-hmm. with the things that I make. And um, when I make the clothing pieces, um, <clears throat> all that is, um, all that metal comes from scrap. There's a great scrap yard in, in Asheville mm. called Biltmore Iron. And they have a great little area where they keep all of their sheet metal. And so I go there and get a bunch of sheet metal, and that's what I make my clothing things out of. Oh, that's awesome. um, So that's one thing that it appeals to me. Because if if I make something and somebody wants to pay me a whole bunch of money for it, then it's not... It's not because it's made out of platinum and emeralds. Mm. It's because of what I put into it. Hmm. So yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 I would I would say with um, much of my experience with book binding, it's the complete opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, well, the materials are just so expensive and you have to have so many different kinds of materials that are yeah. kind of seemingly disparate, whether it's like paper and leather and thread and then a bunch of very esoteric tools and mm-hmm. and then people yeah. are like well why would i spend more than two hundred dollars on a book <laughs> so not not meant to be a complaint at all but no. <laughs> yeah definitely a different uh, materials game <laughs> yeah uh so elizabeth are there any other artistic blacksmiths or like types of blacks blacksmiths that you admire well i admire a lot of a lot of blacksmiths and um and i'm happy to say that a lot of them are my dear friends that mm. i admire cool. <laughs> that's great <laughs> um, and i and i've thought about that particular question a lot mm-hmm. um and i admire some of my friends very much for the discipline that they have in their mm. work. Mm. And, um, cause I don't really have any. <laughs> in my work. I, I'm the worst. Um, so, um, I admire particularly, um, this, this one friend of mine, uh, Warren Holzman, who's in Philadelphia. And I admire him so much because he started his family very, very young. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified for him because I knew that he was really, really talented. Mm -hmm. And I wanted, I wanted to see him, you know, go far with his, with his skills and his talent. And, um, and then uh, he, he did it. And (laughs) now he has two college graduates for children and he's got a very successful um business in philadelphia because he he was very very disciplined and um and worked really really hard wow so i'm super proud of him that's amazing but yeah but i'm not disciplined 
<laughs> I would say what you lack <laughs> in what you lack in discipline, you definitely make up for in uh, inspirationalness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am pretty inspired, and <laughs> and I do love what I do. Mm-hmm. See, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that. Um, that helps because if I didn't love what I do, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would be ruined. I couldn't have even afforded $34,000 for this house. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, yeah. <laughs> or I, I tell Stuart sometimes he, my, my cat, he is so <laughs> jealous and I, he cries when I go out to my studio and I'll say, well, you have to be patient because I have to go out here and make money for cat food. <laughs> Does he normally calm down after that? He calms down after he tears tears on his dolphin. He's got this little dolphin <laughs> um, <laughs> toy, and he 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 tears it up, and he he fights at it, and he's he's something. <laughs> <laughs> But oh, yeah, wow. so I'm glad that I enjoy what I do, mm-hmm. and and it, and I mean the equipment costs some money and stuff, and the building costs some money. But it seemed like when when I was building that building, every time I needed I needed money for the next big thing, something would happen. Like I would sell a piece, or mm. I would you know somehow acquire some money some other place because I didn't make much money working at Penland school. Mm-hmm. I know when I started, I made $7,000 a year. Wow. wow. Teach, I mean, taking care of the Penland iron studio yeah. and, um, you know, it increased while I was working there, mm-hmm. but I never, when I was working at Penland, I never made enough money to pay my bills. Mm. So it made me have to make other things and sell it. Mm. And fortunately, I could use that Penland Iron Studio to make my make the things that I needed to make and mm-hmm. sell to, you know, to get money. Yeah. And um, so it all worked out. Wow. But um, and I remember one time this is when we were we were working on finishing up the big Iron Studio, the new one. And um, I had this old 1989 Toyota pickup truck that I loved and it was parked out in the in the parking lot and a friend of mine came in and she said Elizabeth I'm so sorry to tell you this but I just ran into your truck and I said well it was just in the parking lot how bad can it be and I looked at it and she had put a big old dent in the back of my truck so her her insurance money her insurance company gave me fifteen hundred dollars for that dent and you you can run into that again next week (laughs) (laughs) i didn't get it fixed yeah because i used that money to get my studio insulated wow so you know just things like that it just seems like anything that i need the universe just drops it down for me here's this here's this Wonderful piece of property, one point eight miles from the <laughs> studio. Here's here's fifteen hundred dollars to get your studio uh, insulated, you know. Yeah. And um, it's that's amazing. Just I have to keep knocking on wood, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I know I have to be good. I have to be really really good 
in order to deserve all of this good stuff that has been given to me. You're always on your best behavior. <laughs> well, not always. <laughs> but I try to be good and I try to be nice to other people and help other people. Mm-hmm. Oh, so... um Elizabeth, what inspires you outside of working with metal? Like, do you have any fun hobbies you like to do or anything like that? No. (laughs) (laughs) I I like, um, I like people. I like being around people Mm -hmm. and, um, and having fun and doing fun stuff with my friends. That's, Um, that's awesome. Love that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I've I've made that a priority. Yeah. <laughs> and and I love um I love growing flowers too. Mm-hmm. But I am not going to spend a bunch of time doing it because <laughs> um it's sometimes it just doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And for years I had a groundhog around here who was eating all my flowers and finally got rid of him, but um and you know Gardening is just not something I want to spend a lot of time doing because it doesn't stay done. Mm -hmm. And when I make something out of steel and I finish it, it's pretty much going to stay that way. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, unless somebody does something dumb or put it outside or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, and I don't like housework, but for the same reason, it never stays done. I like doing yeah. things that are finished and stay done. Yeah. Yeah. Respect. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, so that's what I like to do. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, so if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? I have a website, but it badly, badly needs to be updated. <laughs> and um, But the reason I have that website is it's got my email on it mm-hmm. and people can find me through that email. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have had, um, people find me through that email. And last, last summer, these people came, they live up in Virginia and, um, they came down here and they, uh, I had a, I had a piece in the Asheville art museum mm-hmm. and in, in an exhibit and they saw that and they found me and then they came and, and visited me in my studio last summer cool. and um, they want to commission me to make something for them. Huh. But I told them I'm not taking any more commissions until I get the ones done that I've been ha- had hanging around for so long because mm-hmm. I just don't want to feel too much more guilt than I already <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I, if I have something that I made that is not made specifically for somebody already, um, I, it would be either at the Penland Gallery or at the Blue Spiral Gallery in um, Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. But mostly, um, I do commission work. Yeah. Or there, this is the best, and this has happened to me. This is this is this happened to me when I made my first tutu back in the um, late nineties. Um, 
these people, they would see my work at the Penland Auction. Also, I always have something in the Penland Auction every year, mm -hmm. um, and it happens in August. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's another place somebody could get something I made if they wanted to find something. But mm -hmm. um, so these people, they, they were familiar <clears throat> with my work from the Penland Auction. And they told me one time, they said, well, we want to buy something from you someday. But um, we don't don't want to tell you what we want. We want you to just, if you're making something cool sometime, just let us know. And, you know, so then I started making that very first tutu that I made. Mm -hmm. And this is another, this is another, um, another inspiration too. When I go to this scrapyard looking for scrap metal, sometimes I'll find something that inspires an idea. Like, um, I was in the Biltmore Iron Scrapyard, and I found a few sheets of this perforated metal. You know, it's got little holes all in it. Mm -hmm. So I saw that, and I immediately thought, I am making a tutu out of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I drug that stuff around for a long time before I ever got the space in the studio, the time, and the everything I needed to make that tutu. Mm -hmm. And so I told those people that had said that they wanted to buy something from me sometime and to let them know when I was making something cool. So I contacted them and I said, you know, I'm working on something that y'all might like. It's a, it's a ballerina tutu. And they said, huh, well, we'll come up there and check it out. <laughs> and they drove up here from Winston-Salem and saw it, and they said, yes, they would um, like to have that tutu. Oh, that's so awesome. So they, wow. they said, how much do you want for it? And I said, $3,200. <laughs> just like, I just picture you just like sticking your finger up in the air real quick. Uh, $3,200. <laughs> and they said, that's fine. And I was just Damn! Wow. Should have you know? got more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just like, God, that is going to make my life so much easier. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so, but in order for for someone to see more of your work, they can do your website, elizabethbrim.com. You're also on Instagram mm -hmm. as yes, Half Round Bastard, right? <laughs> That's right. That's the best Instagram <laughs> handle ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for uh, you know, talking with us. I'm you were one of the people when Amy and I were first thinking of the podcast where I was like, maybe one day we can get Elizabeth Brim on there. So I can't believe it already happened. Oh it happened. Yeah. yeah. I can talk, Brian. I can talk. I can tell stories. Yeah, that's great. So wonderful. So good. I'm interested to see what you're gonna do with all this stuff. Yeah. We're gonna send it out to the world and see what they think. <laughs> but yeah, well thank you. Thank you so much again, Elizabeth. It was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. And also thank you to everyone who has supported the show, whether financially or otherwise. This particular episode, we'd like to extend an extra special thanks to Bob for joining us on Patreon and to Ian for your donation to the show. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's just because I know him. <laughs> uh, but uh, every contribution matters, both for helping us grow the podcast and raise money for craft scholarships. Also, thank you to our sponsors, John C. Campbell Folk School in North Carolina, North House Folk School in Minnesota, and Penland School of Craft in North Carolina. Uh, also, a free way to support the show is to just leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we also appreciate the feedback. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know why I feel the need to always go, yeah, yeah, after everything you say. Yeah. But I agree. I agree with what you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. If you'd like to see more images of guests' work or stay up to date on other happenings, such as our upcoming giveaway with John C. Campbell Folk School, Please follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast. And if you want to see more of our work, both of our accounts are linked in the bio of the podcast page. You can also email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or guest recommendations for the show, or even if you just want to say hi. <laughs> yes, and we cannot emphasize enough the importance of guest recommendations. Uh, mm -hmm. Both Amy and I are operating within our own limited spheres of uh, people we know and mm -hmm. uh, people we're finding out about. And mm -hmm. so if there's someone you'd like to see on the show, please send them our way. We, we always are looking for new people to talk to. Yeah. And actually, the best way to convey that is through email, um, just because the we do get them occasionally through direct messages, but it's really hard for me to keep all of that organized and straight. So it's easier if, if folks, if they have a recommendation to please send it to us through an email, that'd be great. Yes. And we do have, if you don't remember, cut the graph podcast at gmail.com. We also have a form through which you can submit mm -hmm. emails on our website. Mm -hmm. um, so yay, please get in touch. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and as always, a huge thanks to Brad Vetter for your graphic design, to the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for letting us use your music and for help with production, and to Justin Williams, who writes those poetic tidbits introducing the next guest every episode. So thank you for that. Coming up next, we have an interview with another amazing metalsmith, David Harper Clemens. So to get a little glimpse into our conversation, here's an extra metal way to light your forge. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. See you next time. As I was thinking back to a demonstration that one of my early blacksmithing teachers did. Um, I don't think he does this anymore. Uh, William Bostis was the guy that <laughs> did this. But it was my very first blacksmithing class, and he lit the forge using a cold piece of quarter-inch round steel. <laughs> and so it was so basically he takes this piece of steel and it was to show that force generates heat. And he just starts wailing on it on the anvil and it starts to glow. Whoa. So then he uses this red hot steel that he's just forged too red hot to ignite the gas in the forge. And we're all just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, class dismissed. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>